0: have your bibles this morning and you would find the book of mark chapter 1 uh, mark chapter 1 if you'd also like to for your own reference not that we'll be looking at it today leviticus chapter 13 and 14 deals with the issue of leprosy and uh, what the command was if someone became a leper and what would happen if someone was cured of leprosy and so you can look at that on your own time I will reference that But today I want to talk to you about what does it take? What does it take? And you say, what does it take for what? Well, that's for you. Uh, Growing up, I can remember going to um, the vending machines in Dalgren, the soda machines in Dalgren, and you'd always ask the question, what does it take? Will it take quarters? Will it take dollars? When I was really little, I think it even took nickels and dimes, but I'll never forget when it just took quarters. And now I can tell you that if you own those vending machines in Dagger, I'm sorry for my next statement, but they never work. But yet my kids cannot decide that that don't work. And so they'll say something like, Dad, but we always used to get grape sodas from the vending machine. Not anymore, all right? I don't care what it takes, how many quarters you find, we are not going to the vending machine. Maybe you're saying, well, when I work on tools, you've asked yourself that question. What size does it take to unbolt this, unscrew this? What I'm looking at today with you is this simple fact of what does it take for God to change the situation that you are in. Today, some of that means you're married. You're living with someone who doesn't care about God, doesn't care about you, and you are struggling. Maybe today you're here and you are fighting a battle with cancer or someone that you love is. Maybe there are things going on in your home and you're just asking yourself, what is it going to take for things to change? What is it going to take, God, for you to get me through this? Now, anytime you talk about the miracles that Jesus performed or the miraculous power of God, people get really uncomfortable. Because there is one group of people that will say, if you just believe enough, and if you just confess enough, God has to do whatever you say. On the other end of that spectrum, there are people that say, God does what he wants, when he wants, how he wants, and you have no say in the matter. And so people are torn between these two great extremes on what they believe. But yet I want to show you that the Bible teaches something in the middle of that. In 1 John chapter 5, starting in verse 14 and 15, now this is the confidence that we have in Him, not us, in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we ask of Him. And so we see that, that God is listening, that God cares, that God is involved, that God has a purpose and a plan for our life. But yet in James chapter 4, starting in verse 1, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. So we see here that our heart has to be right when we pray. We can't be selfish and self-centered. We can't be trying to gain things for our own personal benefit. But then in Mark chapter 6... The Bible tells us this. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now he could not do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them, and he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the village in the circuit teaching. And so he says that he did few miracles, and he ties it to the unbelief of the people. And so what we have to understand is that we recognize that God is in control, that God is all-powerful, but yet it matters how we seek Him. It matters how we approach Him. It matters when we get to the bottom of the barrel and then ask, what? And so this morning in Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 40, if you would... Stand with me out of a reverence to the reading of God's word. I want to show you a man who was at the bottom of the barrel and came to Jesus. In Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 40, now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him, and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing to be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And he strictly warned him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way. Show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing these things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. However, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places. And they came to him from every direction. Pray with me. Father, we come today, Lord, uh, knowing that you are faithful. and God, that you are merciful. And so today, Lord, we pray that you would work and move in our hearts and in our lives and in our family and, Lord, in your church. Today, Lord, help us to seek you, to desire you. And Lord, we pray that you would be magnified in all that is said and done in this place. And Lord, I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. What we know about leprosy today is uh, very important to this text. When you look at Leviticus 13 and 14, it talks about a person who is contracted leprosy. It talks about how they are no longer allowed to live with their family. They're no longer to participate in society. They're no longer allowed to come to worship. They were required to rip their clothing and to avoid people. And if you were to come near a leopard, they were required to cover their mouth and to cry out to you, unclean, unclean, unclean. What we know about this disease, it is a disease that that attacks your body. It attacks your nervous system. And so, for instance, you lose the feeling in your extremities. You lose the feeling in your, your different parts of your body. And so, for instance, if you were working on something and would cut your hand, you wouldn't realize it. And, and that would go on for years and years and years. It would get into the bones and it could, it could eat away at your bones and your eyeballs and all of these things. You'd say, Jake, that's gross. Yes, it absolutely is gross. And so we do not know how long this man had had leprosy, but what you need to know is that leprosy usually started on the face. And so it would have deformed him, it would have affected him. Uh, He would have been covered, he would have been unclean. And so what happens when you have open wounds, you have infections, you have uh, disgusting smells, you have all of this stuff, and you say, Jake, why are you telling us all this? Because you need to understand how desperate this man was, how hopeless his situation was, how lonely, how broken, how beat down this would have been individual would have been when he needed a touch from the Lord. Because today no one else might know it, but today you might be here struggling. You might be worried. You might know that you are in need of a touch from the Master. And so I want to show you three things this morning is this. And the first is, we must come to Jesus with humility. We must come to Jesus with humility. Look here in verse 40. With me this morning. Now a leper came to him. Imploring him. Begging him. Petitioning him. Kneeling down to him. And saying to him. If you are willing. You can make me clean. Now what has been going on in the chapters and verses ahead of this. We looked that he was healing people. He was healing the multitude. He was going from city to city. And here this man comes. Now one, this would have been illegal for this man to approach Jesus. It would have been illegal for him to make his way through the crowds and come to the Lord. Can you imagine if you were there standing listening to the Lord talk about the things of God, explain the things of God, and here comes this man, your clothes had to be ripped and torn, and he stinks, And he is infected, and this is a disease that is spread by touch and airborne. And here you are listening to Jesus. Maybe you've been healed by Jesus. And here comes this man, hopeless and broken and disgusting, an outcast. No one wanted him. No one loved him. No one cared about him. And he says, Lord, heal me. You see, the first thing you and I have to do is, no matter where you're at in your brokenness, don't let it get to the point where you have nothing before you turn to Him. How many times have I seen that from a couple? They won't work on their marriage. They won't pray together. They won't read the Word of God together. They won't worship together until it all falls apart. Until they both have found someone else, or things have happened, or someone's came home and they're looking at something. And in that moment, when it all falls apart, now we need the Lord. Or parents aren't serious about teaching their kids the Word of God and taking them to church and getting them involved in the youth group until at about 17 years old they come home and tell mom and dad, I don't believe there's a God. Or I love someone of the same gender. And in that moment, parents are like, well, we've got to to now run to God. Friends, if that's where you're at, you can run to Him. But friends, don't wait for that. Don't wait for it to become some broken and so hurting and so difficult that you have lost everything. But this gives us great hope because for a man who has lost everything, he comes to Jesus with an attitude of humility. One, we see that he comes asking, not demanding. We see that he comes kneeling, sign of humility. We see that he comes honoring God by recognizing God, if you are willing. He says, God, I know that you can. He says, Jesus, I've seen the evidence. I've heard the rumors. I've saw the lives that have changed. Lord, I know that you can. Are you willing? What is humility today? Well, it's being humble. Proverbs, the 15th chapter, starting in verse 33, says, The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom. And before honor is humility. What that word for fear means is reverence, respect. Friends, I think that you should come to church... However you are. And that God wants you to come however you are. But friends, I want you to recognize something. If you're a child of God and you know Him, you ought to come to church with an attitude of respect and reverence and honor. And you say, well, Jake, well, you got a whole decorated stage full of, of games and fun stuff. That's not what I'm talking about. It's a heart issue. Do you come to church saying, God, I really don't need you, but I'm just coming to check it off a box? Or are you coming to worship saying, God, I know that you're the only hope that I have. God, I know that you're the only answer for my problems. God, I know you're the only one who can save me and forgive me and use me and work in my life. God, I come knowing that. Lord, I come knowing that you hung the stars in the sky, that you tell the ocean it can only go so far. God, I know who you are and how I need you. Do You come with that attitude of respect because what it says is, and before honor is humility. If you want God to use you, it will never happen unless you humble yourself. Church, I want to say this to you as a collective group. God never blesses a prideful, group of people. You say, well, our building, our, our decorations, our songs, we, look, look at all that we have. God never brings honor to prideful people or prideful families or prideful individuals. You might be able to fake it for a while. You might be able to explain it for a while, but only real honor. Only real blessings, only things that matter come after what? Humility. What does it mean to be humble? It means to be teachable. It means to be teachable. Proverbs 9 verse 9 says this, The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom. Oh, that's not right. I'm reading the wrong one. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a just man and he will increase in learning. The last four weeks I've made statements every week that have got me in a lot of trouble. And here comes another one. When you come to church and this is your statement, I feel, I think, I want, we should, we will, we must. All of those statements are prideful and arrogant. When you come to worship, it should be what does God say? What does God want? Who is God and what is He trying to accomplish? The number one thing that I see in this church and in almost every church I visit or preach to is that most people do not come to church to be taught the Word of God, they do not come to Sunday school to be taught. The Word of God. They come because their opinion is already made up and they want someone else to know it. But friends, if you want to be used by God, whether it's me as a pastor, whether it's you as a congregation, whether it's you as a husband, whether it's you as a wife, whether it is you as a student, you must be teachable. You ask any school teacher and the kids that want to learn are willing to learn that put the time into learning that will listen in class they will do fine. But you get someone as arrogant and smart who won't listen who won't study who won't be corrected who won't pay attention and friends they will struggle. But it's the same way in the kingdom of God. I am not the master teacher The Lord is. I am not the one with all the answers. The Lord is. I am not the one who gives great instruction. The Lord is. If you've noticed over the last few months, I love to ask you this question. Do you have any words of wisdom? You all really love that statement because I can tell by the responses. Well, that's why we're here for you to tell us some words of wisdom. Or I don't have any words of wisdom. But yet, I say that because you ought to be a person who has access to the same God that I do. You have access to the same Scripture that I do. This is not the Catholic Church. You are not prohibited from studying God's Word. You do not have to go through a man. You have access to God. So I have spent the last few months asking that question almost facetiously. Because I want someone to say, well, I don't have anything really wise, but the Bible says. Or I learned this morning in reading, when I was reading my Bible this morning, now you're all thinking, well, crap, I've answered that wrong for three months. That's all right, now you know. Why? Because we must be teachable. Second thing we see from this passage of Scripture is this. We should believe that God's compassion and power can change our situations. We should believe that God's compassion and power can change our situations. Look in verse 41 and verse 42. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out His hand and touched Him, and said to Him, I am willing to be cleansed. As soon as He had spoken, immediately the leprosy left Him, and He was cleansed. I think it is interesting that Jesus who is perfect, He is the Son of God, He is holy in every way, reaches out and touches something that would make someone unclean but yet it cannot corrupt Him. I believe it is just showing us that He is who He says He is. He is not polluted by the things of this world. He is not polluted by the sin and the shame and the struggle that we have. But I think it's amazing here that this man is healed. And so that brings us to the question of what is God willing to do in my life? What is God willing to do in my marriage? What I can tell you is this. Two things the Bible promises. And I could go on for hours, but I won't. What is He willing to do? Because that was the question. If you are willing... The first thing I believe that you can apply to your life in every situation is He is willing to save. Today, if you have a lost loved one, a lost family member, a lost spouse, prodigal in your life, He is willing to save. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 1, Therefore I exert first of all that supplication, prayers, intercession, and giving of thanks be made for all men. "...for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ." who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and am not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. You see, Paul knew that they would hate the Jews for what they had done to Jesus. Paul knew that the Gentile church would struggle with those people who had persecuted them, those who had abandoned them. And what he says is, you need to pray for all men. You need to pray for the wicked Roman government, the wicked Roman emperor. You need to pray for the wicked Roman guards, the tax collector. And at the end of it, he says, I'm not lying. This is not a debatable topic. Just do it and believe what God says. And so friends, when we look down at people, when we struggle with someone's past, when we give up on people, We need to be reminded that God is willing to save. You say, well, I'm already a Christian. What does that mean for me? Well, that's great. He's also willing to let us draw close to Him. It's the thing I hear more from believers than anything else is I just don't feel close to the Lord. I just don't feel like my relationship with Him is thriving. It's good. People will say things like, well, I know I'm saved, but I just... You know, I just don't know. I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't know how I'm supposed to be serving. I don't know what comes next for me. In Hebrews, the fourth chapter, starting in verse 14, it says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore... So because of who Jesus is, because of what He's done for us, because of how He sympathizes with us, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. What was it that Jesus looked on the man with leprosy? compassion, willing to show mercy, that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Friends, when there is a need in your life, He is the answer. When there is a burden in your life, He is the solution. When there is an overwhelming obstacle, a problem, a sin, a struggle, whatever it is, He is is the answer, and he says, come, come boldly, come knowing that you're loved, come knowing that you're a child of God, don't come with the shame and regret as an outcast looking for scraps, no, come knowing who you are. I don't know if any of you have done this to me recently, but if you do, I do not care much for you. For some reason, people have decided that because I have a house full of children, when they have animals that they no longer want, they just drive by and throw them out the window, apparently. And so for a guy who does not like animals, I don't abuse animals, I won't hurt them, can't, can't do anything wrong to them, I now have two dogs in my front yard. A few months ago, all of a sudden, a lady is running by my house. Not me, I'm not running and I'm not a lady, okay? And says, there's a box of cats in your ditch. I went, I don't care. But my kids are down there in the ditch. And so we became the proud owners of five kittens. Two of those kittens met our dogs and we only have three cats. But two of those cats are now expecting of their own. But I say all of that because... Those cats know that if a door opens at our house, they boldly go where no cat should go, into the house. And my kids love it. They purposely leave the door open just long enough for the cats to come. And so I will be working downstairs in uh, my office or, or laying on the bed working on the computer. And all of a sudden, you will hear it, the flying cat, right? It has jumped up off the counter, and it's jumped up off the dresser, and here it comes. And in those moments, I think, who do these cats think they are? It's like they own this house. I'll come in and our brand new furniture, the most expensive furniture I've ever bought. There they are one seat, two seats, three seats. And I'm like, get them off the couch. But, friends, I say all of that because they know when they come in the house, they're going to be blessed. They're going to be taken care of. They're going to be petted. They're going to, you're saying, are you calling us cats? No, cats are much smarter sometimes, all right? No. But they come boldly. They know that's where the good stuff is. That's where the kids are going to love them. That's where they're going to be taken care of. And as much as I hate to admit it, I'll pet them too. I'm like, I can't believe it. I cannot believe it. I'm Just, what is wrong with this family? But friends, we are to come boldly. We are to come knowing that if we are a child of God, our name is written in the Lamb's book of life. We have been adopted into the family. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And we need to know that He knows our mistakes. He knows our failures. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our struggle. And He says, come. Come boldly. Third and final thing and I'll be done. We must remember who he is and not just what he can do. We must remember who he is and not just what he could do. Look in verses 43. He said, Jake, I don't like this sermon. I'm just going verse by verse. You get to heaven, take it up with the guy that wrote it. Starting in verse 43. And he strictly warned him and sent him away at once. And said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way. Show yourself to the priests and offer for yourself cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. However, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places. And they came to him from every direction. You say, Well, now, wait a second. I thought when God does good things, we're supposed to declare it. We are. But what Jesus tells him here is twofold. One, there was an Old Testament law. It was in Leviticus chapter 14. If you have been healed, you are to go to the priest. And there's all kinds of things that they do. It's stretched out over multiple days. They kill some animals. They sprinkle some blood. They sprinkle some water. They shave you. They, they do all of these things to prove that you have been made well. But there's something about leprosy that you and I need to remember. Even when someone was cured of leprosy in the Old Testament or someone was cleansed of leprosy by some other way, it was impossible to reverse the effects unless God did it. Even today with the advance of medicine, leprosy can be stopped, but it cannot be corrected. If you've lost part of your finger, it's gone. If you've lost an eye, it's gone. But when Jesus healed this man, I believe he was made whole. He was made perfectly well. And so he tells them, you need to go to the priest... And tell them what I've done. There's a couple reasons why. One, because the priest would have to then deal with, is Jesus really who he says he is? And the Bible says that he came to his own first. Second of all, when people are healed, when God works a miracle, it is very easy for people to be more worried about the blessing than the blesser. More worried about the gift than the giver. And Jesus understood that, and He just told us in the last section that miracles were not the reason He came. They were to validate who He was, but the reason He came was to preach, to proclaim the good news. And He knew that as the crowds grew and as the people wanted things, it would be harder to get into each city and preach the gospel. And that's exactly what happened. John MacArthur makes a statement talking about this text He goes, it's fitting that the man who was on the outside looking in, who couldn't go to worship, who couldn't go into town because of his issue is made well and can be among everyone. Jesus, who was going to everyone after touching this man, had to be in deserted places and could go to no one. What a picture of what Christ has done for us. He came and became sin for us. He came and took our sin and punishment and we took His righteousness. So two things I want you to see from this passage of Scripture, and I'll be done, is do you know who He really is? Are you here today because you know who Jesus is, you have a relationship with Him, or are you looking for blessings? Do you really know Him today as the Lord and Savior of your life? Or are you just terrified of a place called hell? Are you here today because you love Him? Or are you here today because your wife or husband has nagged you to death? 1 John chapter 5 says it like this, We know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. We know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we know that the Son of God has come and given us an understanding that we may know Him who is true and we are in Him who is true in His Son Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourself from idols. Amen. He doesn't say here that you're going to be perfect. What he's saying here is if you are truly a child of God, your life will not be marked by continual habitual sin. If you really know the Lord, sin in your life as a Christian bothers you. It's not the pattern of your life. You say, well, Jake, what about those people who made a prayer when they're eight years old and live however they want and do what they want and go where they want and when you try to talk to them about the gospel, they don't want anything to do with it. Look up here. They're lost. Church membership, reciting words, being baptized does not mean you are a child of God. Having a relationship with Him, watching Him change you, watching Him make you into something that you were not is how you know. That doesn't mean that you don't struggle. It doesn't mean that you don't fail. It doesn't mean that you can't make major mistakes in your life. But yet, when you are living for Him, the Spirit is dealing with you. And the second thing is, do you know Him and are you following Him? Do you know Him and are you following Him? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20 says it like this. For what credit is it if when we are beaten for our faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before you, before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us as an example that you should follow His steps. If you want to know if you're following Jesus, how did you respond the last time someone wronged you and you didn't do anything to deserve it? Last time someone cut you off in traffic and you were obeying the speed limit. The last time you tried to share the gospel with someone, just do the right thing and the things they said about you. Jesus says to the apostle Peter here, if you want to know if you're following God, how do you respond when you suffer and you didn't deserve it? How do you respond when you're wronged and you didn't deserve it? He says because Jesus is the example. I read that and think, oh man. That's not, that's not, no. No. That's that's not the the best way to evaluate my life. And the Lord says, yes, it is. Because Jesus, it goes on to say in this passage of Scripture, and we won't read it for the sake of time, he, He was perfect. He did not fight the cross. No man took His life, but He willingly gave it. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He is the one who suffered and yet did not deserve it. And so you say, Jake, why does this sermon matter? For me, this is why. Every battle that you are facing, every struggle that you are going through, every valley that you are going to face is spiritual warfare. And you can do what most people do, walk through life unprepared, unready, totally caught off guard. Or you can know that what you face can be tore down in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul talking to the church at Corinth, a church that he had helped start, a church that he loved, a church that he cared for, was being torn apart by wicked people. And this is what he said starting in verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Friends, if your marriage is under attack, it's not just somebody. If your kids are under attack, it's not just somebody. If you're struggling in your life and in your relationships, because it goes on in verse 4 and says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself, against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. If you are trying to have a marriage based on God's word and it feels like Satan is involved, it is because it is a stronghold against the knowledge of God. If you're trying to raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and people keep involving themselves, people keep making it difficult, uh, the people that they're around, it is because they have exalted themselves against the knowledge of God. When a church tries to be the church that God wants it to be, to do the things that God has said it should do, and people begin to raise up its head, it is because they have raised themselves up against the knowledge of God. And the only hope that you and I have, the only hope that your marriage has, and the only hope that you have as an individual is what? Spiritual things. The things of God. The power of God that can tear down the stronghold. So for me, I want God in his power and wisdom and mercy to tear down the strongholds, To tear down the things that Satan has tried to devour, tried to destroy, and tried to ruin. And I believe that he can the question is do you father we thank you so much for your word and lord i pray that i have just preached what your word says lord i know there were a lot of scripture references today it went a little longer than usual but god i just believe your word is power your spirit is working and so father today i just pray i beg i plead i implore you lord To work in this place, Father, to convict us, to deal with us, to encourage us, Lord, whatever is necessary for you to begin to bring the victories that are needed in our lives. Lord, we know that it's only through you, Lord, it's only your power, your might, your glory, Lord, it is only you. And so we just come today, Lord, asking if you were willing and trusting you in every way. And so, Father, for the lost today, I pray that your Holy Spirit would save, Lord, for everything that is needed. Pray that you would do it. And Lord, I ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.